0: Welcome to Houser Community Church Online. Let's join pastor as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and unpacks the Word of God for us. After the message, we'll tell you how to contact us. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we, we praise you. You are our great and awesome God who is high and lifted up far above the heavens but you also commune with us here. You don't stay far away. You dwell among us. Jesus, we praise you because of no other name can there be salvation. We thank you that you uh, put on flesh and dwelled among us and revealed yourself to us, so that we could become children of God. We gather before you this morning to worship you and and to magnify your name, Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Lord, we believe that you forgive and we believe that you heal us. So we ask this morning for your healing, our merciful God. Our sins are plain to us and some of our sins escape us and some of our sins we cannot face. We ask that you would forgive us, Lord. Set us free to hear your word to us. Set us free to, to serve you. Thank you for the forgiveness that you freely grant to us in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Lord, we bring before you those who are, who are sick and hurting this season. I know there's a lot of sickness going around, and we ask you as a great physician, that you would bring healing and that you would also bring endurance to those who remain in sickness. Lord, we ask that you would grant traveling mercies for those who are traveling this time of year. We have many on the roads and there's a storm uh, in, in the area, Lord, and we ask that you would bring your people home safely. I also pray this morning that we would not move on so quickly from the significance of the Incarnation, (laughs) that we wouldn't move on so quickly from you, Jesus, putting on flesh as the Son of God and living a perfect life as our representative head and dying the perfect sacrifice to redeem your people from sin, the sin that plagues us every single day, and then becoming the firstborn of the dead so that we too could become new creations and then ascending into the heavens as the King of kings. I pray that we don't move on from who you are and what you've accomplished. May we be humbled in our hearts and in our lives and striving to be more like you, Jesus. Lord, we ask that you would grant us boldness in the message of Jesus Christ as we saw in the passage of the disciples that they boldly proclaimed the good news of Jesus. Lord, as we turn to your word Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear. We ask that you would change our our hearts to look like your heart and change our lives to reflect your life, Jesus. I ask that you would grant me the ability to boldly proclaim your word this morning. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, kiddos, you are released. The rest of you, if you haven't already turned to Acts, go ahead and turn to Acts 4. Yes, 1 through 32, or 31, excuse me. Good morning, church. Yesterday was Christmas, the day we celebrate. The Lord taking on flesh that he could save save us from our sins, save those uh, in the world that we could dwell with God. I mean, this is amazing. It's an amazing message that we celebrate every year. We sing, one that we sing of, go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. But then... Monday often rolls around and and we don't climb up on the mountain to proclaim the good news or walk up the hills to proclaim Jesus Christ is born. In fact, we are more likely to tell others of what we got under the tree and what we unwrapped for Christmas, and then what the Lord accomplished on Christmas. And I know you're thinking, way to throw a wet blanket on Christmas, Greg. Um, but we need to hear the truth. We need to, our hearts need to be exposed so that we can look more like Christ, more and more every day. I Recently, I read this article, and it opened like this. It says, do you want to live and speak more boldly for Jesus Christ? I do. How badly do we want it? Do we want it enough to ask, seek, and knock until God answers us and, and take risks that press on our timidity? Or if we're honest, would we rather just keep wishing we were bolder, admiring bold people, being inspired by biographies about bold people, talking with our friends and small group members about our struggles with the fear of man, all the while staying where we feel safe and relatively comfortable and letting fear go unchallenged. I think we would all say my flesh would rather sit back and talk about boldness But the Spirit in me is pushing me to be more bold. If you remember, uh, we are back in Acts, and what is going on is uh, Peter and John, they've healed a lame man outside uh, the temple or outside Solomon's portico. And uh, after they do that, they proclaim the good news. They boldly are preaching, um, proclaiming Jesus Christ is the Lord. They boldly call the Jewish people to account. They say, you killed the author of life. You turned your back on him. You murdered the Messiah. And he calls them to repentance. And if you remember, this is the Peter that not too long before this, cowered in fear, not once, but three times denying Jesus Christ. So we have to ask, what happened between him cowering before the cross, denying Jesus, and boldly standing before those who just killed Christ and proclaiming the good news? They were filled with the Spirit. We saw that in Acts 2, right? Right? So we're going to see in our text this morning that the Holy Spirit gives us boldness. The Holy Spirit increases our faith, not in our abilities, but in the name of Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at why we need boldness, why do we need to be bold as Christmas, or Christmas, I just love Christmas, as Christians, why do we need to be bold as Christians, what hinders our boldness, and how do we increase our boldness? So that's where we're going today. First, we need boldness because our message is offensive. People are not applauding. Oh, thank you. Tell me I'm a sinner and I'm going to hell if I don't turn and repent. Our message is first offensive, if you look at the text in verse 13, because it's given to common people. Now... This is verse 13. Now when they saw, this is the council, saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, and they were astonished. You see, the Sadducees were there, and they were upset because they they weren't so concerned about the teaching of the gospel or theology. Um, They were more concerned with their political standing before Rome. Uh, if you look at verses 1 and 2, as Peter and John are speaking to the people, the, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees come upon them, and they're greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus' name, or in Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. The Sadducees—they—they they were more concerned with politics than theology. They—they they didn't even believe in the resurrection, um, but they didn't want to mess up their standing with Rome. They didn't want uh, th- these people to come and ruin the harmony that they had with Rome. They were allowed to rule. Uh, they were allowed to do what they were doing as long as they didn't irritate the Romans. But these men started preaching the gospel. And they started proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ and, and thousands of people come. And thousands of people start believing this message. Look at verse 4. But many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of men came to about 5,000 This is a huge number of people. This is a a movement going on. And if these thousands of people, this 5,000 people, they started sharing the message of the resurrected Christ, they would contradict Roman belief that Caesar was God and king. And Rome would eventually turn on them. And we see that happen. We see that happen in history. Rome turns on Christians. They turn on the Jews. They... Take them into captivity, I learned recently. <laughs> I should have known that. The rulers and the elders and the high priestly family, they also are upset. Look at verse 5. On the next day, the rulers and the elders and the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. And Ananias, Anas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly family. And they set them in their midst and they inquired of them. They were were not happy with what was going on because these men were teaching what was contrary to what they were teaching. They were saying, Jesus is not the Messiah. If you look at verse 7, they ask, by what power or by what name did you do this? Because it's obviously not from us. And these were the guys that they would go to or you would go to to learn about God's word, to, to hear if this is true so when they are preaching in Jesus' name, they couldn't allow these common, uneducated men contradict what they were teaching. They couldn't have them contradicting their authority. So they wanted them to be quiet. And the leaders of Israel were always supposed to equip the people. They were never supposed to hold it back. They were never supposed to not give it to the common person. It was supposed to be taught in family settings. We read in Deuteronomy, These words I command you, Moses says, Today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You should talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. It it was a common message. They should share this with each other, he says. After they come out of Egypt, they say, the reason we do the Passover is so you can teach your kids what this is about. It was supposed to be read by kings even. And when he sits on the throne, the king of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of of this law approved by the Levitical priests. It wasn't just for the priests, it was for the common man, it was for the kings. Jesus even calls children to himself. He says, let them come to me, let them learn from me. He called the disciples who were all common men. They were fishers and tax collectors and he made them disciples and told them to go and teach everything they've learned from him to everyone. Paul picks up the same idea in 1 Corinthians. And it shall be with him. Oh, this is not where I want to be. This is where I want to be. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong, so that when we boast, we're not boasting in our abilities, we're boasting in Christ's ability. But this is offensive. This message is offensive today because our world exalts education. Not a bad thing. The world exalts experts. But the gospel says, and it takes Everything that makes us want to puff up our chests, our college degrees, our extensive Bible knowledge, our age, and it, it brings it lower, and it exalts Christ, not ourselves. The message of the gospel can be proclaimed by a child. It can be proclaimed by a new believer. Just look at the woman at the well. She went and told people what Jesus told her. By a pastor, by someone who's walked faithfully with the Lord for 80 years, Uh, the message of the gospel can be proclaimed by the people of God. And this is the fulfillment of Jeremiah 33 through 34. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and, and they will be my people." And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will, they shall know me, from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Our message is also offensive, not only because it's given to common people, but it's given and it reveals Jesus alone is the king. The apostles were teaching of the resurrection in Jesus. They're revealing He is the rightful ruler. He's the firstborn of all create or He's the firstborn of the dead. He's He's overtaken the ruler of this world. There's none higher. He is now seated in the heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. And the Sadducees were offended. They didn't they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't want to acknowledge the resurrection. And many today in our world refuse to acknowledge or believe in the resurrection. Not only because they believe that nothing is after death, but I think more accurately because they can't control what's after death. And to admit we're not king over eternity is, is simply offensive. You can't tell me about my eternity But church, we have to preach the resurrected Christ. He's the only hope in life and death. The other leaders refused to believe Jesus was the king as Messiah. They refused. Look at verses 10 through 12. They say, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, see boldness, they're so bold, whom God raised from the dead by him this man is standing before you very well this jesus is the stone that you that was rejected by you the builders which has which has become the cornerstone excuse me and there is salvation in no one else and there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved peter reveals That the healing of the man standing before them was alone, healed by Jesus Christ. And by doing that, they're proclaiming. This is the fulfillment of Isaiah 35. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped, and Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. He says, this is the Messiah. This is the one we've been waiting for. Look at his acts. Look at what he has done. This is, he was, this man standing, this lame man is leaping like a deer before you because the Messiah is here. And he goes on, and he reveals the rejection of Jesus as the cornerstone. And he's just pushing them back to uh, Psalm 118. The, so what, what's going on in Psalm 118? David is the king, and the whole, the whole psalm is showing how he is being rejected as king by the nations around Israel. They're persecuting him. They're opposing him. And Peter takes that passage and he applies it to Christ. And he's saying, you, leaders of Israel, you, those who should recognize the Messiah, are now like the nations around us. And you are found opposing the rightful king. You are found opposing the Messiah now. And this was very very offensive. In our proclaiming Jesus as Messiah, we're telling the world around us, you're opposing the one true Messiah if you don't follow Jesus Christ you will be found coming against him. You cannot save yourself. You have to come to him. That's the message that we tell them. And it's not the self-help motto of the world that proclaim, the world around us proclaims. This is offensive, we're told. This is single-minded. It's, it's oppressive. It's flat-out wrong. But we have to proclaim Jesus as Messiah boldly And that brings us to the third reason why our message is offensive. Verse 12, there's salvation in none, no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the key to God's plan of redemption. He's the foundation and the guide to the entire structure of redemption. The cornerstone in ancient buildings, if you don't know, they had two purposes. First was for the foundation of the building. If the cornerstone, um, everything, all the weight of the building rested on the cornerstone. If it was not right, the the building would crumble. Second, it acted as a guide. It was a way of keeping the walls, the other corners, all straight. So if the cornerstone is laid properly the, the stonemasons could rest assured that everything else was going to be straight. I'm not into construction, but I'm pretty sure straight is a good thing um, in a building, I, I think. Level is a good thing. So Peter is saying to the leaders, uh, he's standing in, in the middle of the council. If you just get the picture in your head, Peter and John are in the middle, and the council would gather around them in a semicircle so they could all see each other. And they're proclaiming that you have rejected the cornerstone. You don't understand the plan of God. Everything you're building, if it's apart from Jesus Christ, is askew. It will crumble. Without Jesus, the whole structure, they're saying, it collapses. Without Jesus, all that you teach, all that you say, all that you do is going to be misaligned. It's going to be off kilter. Without Jesus, they have no salvation because God's plan of redemption rests in Christ alone. And that's what they're telling them. You have rejected the Messiah. And as you go out into the world and as you proclaim that only in Jesus someone can be saved, you will offend people. It's not a loving, well it is a loving message, just the most loving message we can say. But the world doesn't see that as a loving message. Because that means that all other religions are built on false cornerstones. They will crumble. It means that all attempts to be good enough are building on a false cornerstone, and the end result is a salvation that isn't salvation, it crumbles. But we have to continue boldly proclaiming salvation in Jesus Christ alone. But our boldness, church, we have to be careful here. Our boldness should never be to win an argument. Our boldness should always issue from love. It should always issue from a desire for the lost to be found, to see Christ. And since our message is offensive, it's going to bring suffering. So this is the first instance in Acts of the persecuted Church. This is the first instance that Jesus promises suffering of those who follow him. We see it in John 15. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. He says in the the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And no one likes to suffer, so we have to be given boldness to face persecution. So now we need to ask, what are the things that hinder our boldness? Probably the most immediate for many is education, knowledge, uh, I don't know, I don't, I don't have the training, I don't know what to do. But Peter and John didn't allow their lack of formal religious training to hinder them because they had had been with Jesus. They're just going to proclaim what they had seen and what they had heard. Look at verse 13. Now when they saw, this is the, the leaders, they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they perceived that they were uneducated. That doesn't mean stupid. It just means they weren't formally educated. They were common men. They were astonished. And here, I think this is the most beautiful part of the verse in this section. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They recognized that they, these men look like Jesus. They sound like Jesus. They talk like Jesus. They'd, they'd been with Jesus. They'd heard his preaching. They saw his life They asked him questions. They received his spirit. And then they boldly spoke what they had seen and heard. And they lived boldly because they knew who Jesus was. And today, too many in the church keep, we keep our mouth shut because we don't have the education. We say, oh, leave that for the pastors who went to school for that. Let them do all the talking. They are really good at it. They do it for a long time on Sunday morning." But the church is for that education. Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says, uh, he, God gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. This is why we have Sunday morning preaching. This is why we have Hauser School of the Bible, why we have small groups, why we have Sunday school, why we have elders, so that we could teach the body to do the work of the ministry and build up the body of Christ. This is why we gather in church. When we leave here, people should say, those people have been with Jesus. They look like him, they sound like him, they live like him. Our personal time with Jesus in the mornings as we read or whenever you read the word is for your education so that you have been with Jesus. And he promises you, I will give you my spirit to teach you, to guide you, to counsel you. We say, I think a lot of times we say, well, they walked with Jesus. But we have the spirit of Christ in us. And he gives us his word. And he says, I am with you. I'm teaching you. He says, it'll be better for me to leave. If, so I can send the spirit to you. So the first thing that robs us is of, of boldness is our false understanding of education. The second thing uh, that robs us is the fear of man versus the fear of God. So, Quickly, let me describe fear. Um, yes, in a sense, it means trembling. Um, yes, in a sense, it means being in the awe, being in awe of God. But fear speaks more urgently of the desire to please. If I fear people, then I'm going to adjust how I act because I desire to please people. So that is my fear of people. I'm going to adjust what I look like. I'm going to adjust how I talk. I'm going to adjust how I dress because I want to please people. But if I fear God, I'm going to adjust how I act because I desire to please my good, good father. That's the fear of God. And some fear man because they fear I'm going to be found out as a fake or uh, I'm going to be found out as a sinner. Let me break it to you. If you don't know yet, we're all sinners in here. Um, That's why we're in here. Look at the text. Verse 14. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them. So this is the council. They see this man. He's healed. He's standing beside them. And they had nothing to say in opposition. When they commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, they were afraid of getting found out they didn't want jesus to be proclaimed because that's counter to everything that they've been saying but but peter and john they boldly proclaimed the healing of this man in jesus name because there's no untruth there's nothing to uncover they were firmly sure they were they were anchored in the word of christ in the name of jesus christ they knew there, there's nothing to uncover Many fear man because we're, they're not grounded in their faith in Jesus Christ. Christian, don't be plagued by the thoughts of what if this is not true. This is true. This, Jesus is the truth. Rest in that. Some also fear man because they're afraid of physical harm. We see here that they're surrounded, like I said, they're surrounded by these men. They're very powerful men. They are the ones that sway the crowds to crucify Christ. They, they sternly warn them. They charge them. Don't you speak or teach in the name of Jesus anymore? Verse 21, they further threaten them. They let them go, finding no way to punish them. Because of all the people. They were physically surrounded. They could have been harmed. But they remember that Jesus says in Matthew 10 don't fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. It's easier said than done, right? Like we have a natural response to protect ourselves. But if we truly believe in Christ's work, if we're constantly meditating on Christ, we will have a heart like Paul. To live is Christ. To die is actually an upgrade. We know our physical bodies will be resurrected one day. But we have to be steeped in that truth of the resurrection. Most fear man because they do not fear God. But Peter and John... Look at verse 19, Peter and John, they answered these these men, they say, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They didn't fear man over God, they feared God, and they said, you can decide Whatever you want to do you can decide but we are going to follow what he says to do. Do you fear God more than man? The fear of God breeds boldness. It it just it just oozes out of us. Because if God is for us who can be against us? But the fear of man it it makes us atrophy. <laughs> It, it makes us, it robs us of boldness. We think, what are they going to think of me? What are they going to say? What are they going to do to me? So we see our bold, we need boldness because we have an offensive message. We see what hinders our boldness. So now let's ask, how can we increase our boldness? First and foremost, let's look at thir- verse 13 again. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they perceived that they were uneducated and common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. First and foremost, our boldness increases by being with Jesus. Just being with him, being in his word. The disciples were bold because they had been with him. They'd walked with him, talked with him, prayed with him, learned from him. They knew him intimately. And you and I can increase our boldness by being with Jesus. We might not be able to walk with him as they did or talk with him physically and hear his voice audibly back, but we can talk to him. We have his spirit dwelling in us. We can hear him speak to us through his written word. Augustine says that God is nearer to us. He's closer to us than we are to ourselves. And as we dwell in Christ and Christ dwells in us, we come to his word and we read of his life and and we read his teachings and and his commands. And the more time we spend in prayer and we spend in communion with him and and fellowship with him and, and memorize his word and it anchors in our hearts, we increase our love for him and our boldness increases. We understand the government rests on his shoulder we understand he's the wonderful counselor he's mighty god he's the everlasting father he's the prince of peace he's the alpha and the omega he's the king of kings and lord of lords he's jesus and we will grow in our boldness because we start to understand that our strength and our boldness it's oh it's not actually coming from me My boldness isn't because I am a bold person. I'm not. My boldness comes from Christ in me. So the second way we grow in boldness for the gospel is by being in community. It's by being with each other. Look at verses 23 and 24. And when they were released... They went to their friends, and they reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard it, they lifted their voice together to God, and they said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of David, the father, our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of earth set themselves, and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed." For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So the first response of Peter and John was to gather with the saints. To get together to talk about what just happened, why? Because there's power in being with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Those who we agree with, those who can remind us of God's promises, those who can pray with us, who can wash us in the word. My fear often in this pandemic season that's stretched now however long it's been, it's been that people will grow comfortable with not gathering with the saints. We have live streaming. We can watch online, and I'm, and I'm glad that we can do that. You can watch preachers that have uh, their abilities far surpass mine. so why gather? We could watch in our PJs. Why gather? But the writer in Hebrews, he says, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There's strength in coming together, because we have a really strong enemy. He's defeated, but he's still strong. When we come together, we strengthen each other, we spur each other on, we teach one another, we sharpen each other. We encourage, we rebuke. That's a good thing. We need each other. That's how we were created. This is the body of Christ. He says, I've made you to be together, I've made you as living stones that you're being built up together for a holy a being, a dwelling for his Holy Spirit. So grow in boldness by being around your brother, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thirdly, our boldness increases as our faith in God's sovereignty increases. As they pray, they just, they proclaim, Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You're sovereign. You're in control of all things. Why do the nations come against you? Why do they rage against you? Everything that happened in this city was because of your plan. You predetermined all of this, and the disciples knew no matter what is going on around us, even if we don't understand it completely, we know that God is sovereign. And as you and I, as we look to the Word and we see the history of God's faithfulness for generations from the very beginning, we can rest in the understanding that no matter what is happening around us, God is in control. Amen. And that increases our boldness. What greater confidence can we have in the God that loves his people and saves them and destroys evil? What greater word is there than the word of God? We can be bold, church, because we believe that God is sovereign. Fourth, we increase our boldness by praying for boldness. Verse 24, when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and prayed. They prayed together. These these bold believers who just got done standing in the midst of this council, they needed to stop and pray for more boldness. I'm sure they were shaken. I'm sure they were like a cup poured out in faithfulness but, but they needed the Lord to fill them back up because they knew that this is going to happen again and again and again and we cannot do this by ourselves. I need you, Lord, to fill me. Even the apostle Paul he says to the Ephesians, "I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to the end to that end" Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints, and also for me, he says, that, my, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. It's the Apostle Paul saying, please pray for me, because I need boldness. Church, you may not be bold people. You may not be Uh, You may be nervous, you may be naturally introverted, but will you commit yourselves to praying in faith that God would give you boldness starting today? Lord, I'm not a bold person, I'm not super confident, I stutter, and I don't like to be in front of people, and I don't want to talk to people, Um, but can you give me boldness Because you promised to in your word. So can you do that? So commit yourselves today to pray in faith. That God would give you boldness. Fifth we increase our boldness. By faith in Jesus' name. And in his word. The apostles can march in that council. Boldly. Because Jesus said. In Luke 21. But before all this. They were to lay their hands on you. And persecute you. So. Before the end, he says, or during, as it's happening, um, they're going to lay their hands on you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to deliver you up to the synagogues and to prisons, and you'll be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. And this will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. They settled it in their, in their hearts and in their minds. They settled it. Jesus said it. Let it be done. I trust you, Lord. I'm not going to sit and I'm going to ponder and bite my nails of what am I going to say when they come and get me. I'm not going to do that. I'm going I'm to be bold. I'm going to walk in there and I'm going to open my mouth because I have the Spirit of God dwelling in me. Do you have that kind of faith in the Word of God, church? Pray for that depth of faith and that, that amount of boldness. Sixth, we increase our boldness by being filled by the Spirit. Look at verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. We see this in verse 8. Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. And proclaims to the rulers and elders. We see this in Acts 2. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And and this isn't just the initial filling of the Holy Spirit as a believer at salvation. We're all filled with the Spirit at salvation. We are given God's Spirit. But Paul writes in Ephesians 5, continue to be filled by the Spirit. Don't get drunk on wine. That's debauchery and it leads to nothing. Be filled with the Spirit. As you spend time with Jesus, as you spend time in His Word and with His people and in prayer, you're being filled by the Spirit constantly. Continue being filled with the Spirit, filling your hearts and your minds with Him, and He gives you boldness to proclaim His Word. He's flowing out of you like a river of life. And finally, seventh, because it's super spiritual numbering, we have to act in faith. Faith. All of this is, is for naught if we don't act in faith. Look at the, verse 31. And when they prayed, they, uh, the place in which they gathered was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and that was it. They went home. Nope. They continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They continued to go out. They continued to get persecuted. Most of them died, but they acted They did what they were told to do. So be bold. I have this acronym. I've already spoken a long time anyway, so I'm gonna give it to you. I gave it to you a while ago. Uh, If you wanna write it down, you can. I pray it all the time. I didn't come up with it. It's from John Piper, A-P-T-A-T. So I acknowledge that, um, the A, I acknowledge I can't change anybody's heart. I can't change anybody's mind. I can't even speak, um, for God, apart from him. Uh, A, P, I pray that he would do a mighty work. T, I trust that he's going to fulfill his word. A, I act. I I pray this every time I get up here to preach. I can't do this. (laughs) Lord, I can't speak. Um, uh, But you say to do it in your word, that you will act, that your Holy Spirit will move in your people. And I trust you. And then I get up here and I preach. And I do that when I write, and I do that when I talk to people, and we have to do that. And then at the end, the T is I thank God for whatever he's going to use that uh, interaction. However he will use it, I thank him because he is sovereign. So I ask, as we began with the article, do you want to live and speak more boldly for Jesus Christ? I do. How badly do we want it? Do we want it enough to ask, seek, and knock until God answers us and and to take risks that press on our timidity? Or if we're honest, would we rather just keep wishing we're bolder, admiring bold people, being inspired by biographies about bold people, talking with our friends and small group members about the struggles of fear with our fear of man, all the while staying where we feel safe and relatively comfortable and letting fear go and unchallenged. I pray that we end this year and we begin next year. This is the last Sunday of the year. That's weird. But I pray that we end this year and begin 2022 in prayer, that the Lord would make us bold for his gospel in a lost and dying world. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, you are so good. You're so faithful. For generations, for all eternity, you're faithful. Your word is truth. We rest in you, Lord, but we need your help. We need you to increase our faith. We need you to increase our boldness. We need you to increase our love for the saints and our love for the lost. Lord, we, we need your help. Every hour, we need you. So God, I pray that we would end this year and begin next year as Hauser Community Church boldly proclaiming, the good news of Jesus Christ, that we would stop and pray with people, that we would share the love of Christ in action and word. God, we want to be bold. And you tell us in your word that you would give us boldness. So we thank you for the amazing work you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us at Hauser Community Church Online. Check back next week for the next unpacking of the Word of God. Please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for pastor at area code 541-756-2591 or email us at pray at hauserchurch.org. Again, that's P-R-A-Y at H-A-U-S-E-R-C-H-U-R-C-H dot O-R-G. Our address is 69411 Wildwood Road, North Bend, Oregon, 97459. Remember, if you're seeking the truth, it will set you free. And that truth is Jesus Christ.